0: Giving is a discipleship thing for Christians. And if this is your first time here at King's, and you're thinking, oh, is this one of those churches where they talk about money every week? I want you to be reassured. I actually looked at my calendar. It's been three years since we talked about this. We were all due to do it two years ago. We went into lockdown that Sunday, and we thought, well, the whole world's changed. Let's not do it. So let's talk about the other things. So it's important we talk about this today because we want to grow as Christians, don't we? So let's start in 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to look at a lot of different verses today, and they'll appear on the screen behind me. And here's the first one that we're going to read today, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Paul talking to some mature Corinthian Christians. But since you excel in everything, in faith in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, this may seem surprising, but it's totally true what Paul is saying here. He said what he's noticed about these Corinthian believers is they're displaying excellent maturity in so many areas of their Christian life. In fact, You could even use the term generous in the most holistic way to say, you know, you're so generous in your speech. You're so generous in your faith and your belief in God and your belief about people. You're so generous in your earnestness and commitment. You're so earnest and you're you're so generous in your relationships and your love for us. We just feel overwhelmed by your generosity, Corinthians, in terms of your heartfelt love for us. But he says, oh, don't forget the money. (laughs) Do you see that at the end? He says, see to it. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. The word excel in the Greek, it means to to do so with ever-increasing measure, to do it more and more and more. So this is what discipleship looks like for you and me if we're going to grow and follow Jesus, that we don't just grow in all the stuff that we love to grow in, but we also grow in this thing called giving, which is unseen. Now, somebody a few years ago, uh, did some research because they, they wanted to answer the question, because they thought it would be a helpful question to answer. They said, what makes certain Christians more generous than others? Because that would be really valuable information, wouldn't it, to have? And they, they asked all sorts of questions across many denominations and many, uh, many um, Christians, and they thought, well, I bet there's going to be some interesting angles about giving to a big vision or really charismatic leaders who are particularly good at kind of talking about this stuff. They were quite surprised when the one consistent theme that came back from Christians, in terms of the response from Christians who gave generously, was this that it wasn't really to do with the vision and it wasn't really to do with the leaders. The one common theme, do you know what it was? They belonged to churches where they taught about giving. Now, I'd add one thing to that, because I think the Holy Spirit plays a vital role in this as well, that it's as we teach the Bible and what the Bible says about giving, and as we allow the Holy Spirit to apply that to our lives, that we become more liberated in the area of generosity and giving. And so today, that's the work that God is about in you. So we're going to look at the Bible. And the first big idea in the Bible is this, that everything we have... The clothes you have, the stuff you have, the computers, the laptops, the, 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 the sofas you sit on, all of it belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to him. In fact, King David, who, uh, he took a, a big offering so his son could build a temple. Um, and he gave a lot of silver and gold into it, a massive amount. And then he, he looked around and he said to his other leaders in Israel at the time, he said, I'd like you to also give very generously. Into this thing, and many of his leaders, they gave a huge amount of silver and gold. And at the end of that special offering, David looked at the the vast amount that had been given to allow God's house to be built. And interestingly, he didn't say, Well done, guys, good offering, you're so generous. This is what he said. He turned to God and he said, Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. And then he says this, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. You see that? Everything belongs to God. And he said, you know, the only reason we have this silver and gold is because, Lord, you gave it to us and you've given us everything. Everything. This changes our entire approach to generosity if we understand that primarily Christians, we're we're stewards of things that God has given us rather than owners of things that God is trying to pry out of our hands. He's given us everything and he loves to give you everything because he's such a generous and loving God. God loves to bless you with many of the good things that you have experienced in your life. Now, the first reference so the whole thing belongs to God, but the first reference to anybody honoring God with their wealth in the Bible is in the story of Abraham. And you read in Genesis chapter 14, the story is that his family have been kidnapped and somebody has stolen all of his stuff. He's a very wealthy man and everything has been taken away. And he manages to go and, and rescue his family and he, he gets all his stuff back because God is with him. And in Genesis 14, this very obscure character by the name of Melchizedek appears. And uh, you don't read much about him in the Bible. And, you know, everybody says, well, he's a very obscure character. You read about him a bit in Hebrews, but he's basically God's representative. He's a prefigurement of Christ. And he comes and he blesses Abraham and he reminds Abraham that God has blessed him. And he says, it's all because of God, Abraham. And this is Abraham's response. Next verse, please. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So when reminded that God had given Abraham everything, Abraham responded by saying, here's a tenth, Melchizedek. And this, this theme of a tenth, it might seem a little obscure to us, but it kind of runs through the whole of the Old Testament, where even in the, the life of Israel, you see in, in, embedded in some of the Mosaic law is this idea of a tithe or a tenth. Tithe simply means tenth. It's an old-fashioned word for tenth, And so when people talk about tithing, it's literally tenth thing, uh, whatever comes in. And uh, you, you read a number of occasions in, in the Old Testament law which refers to this tithe or tenths being given. So first of all, um, you, you read about in Numbers 18... God, God says, I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. And uh, the, the idea was this, that there were, there were 12 tribes of Israel, 11 of them had land to farm, and one of them had to look after the temple and therefore didn't have any means of making any income. So God, in his provision, he said, the 11 are to give a tenth, and that's to care for the people who man the temple. But that wasn't the only tenth that they gave because you, you, you see in Deuteronomy 14 it says be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields produced each year, eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God and the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. And here, here was the thing, so they were encouraged to give a tenth to participate fully in the celebratory spiritual life of Israel so they could worship God together. So they gave a tenth to provide for those who were working in the temple and a tenth towards the religious festivals of Israel. And then there's a third reference to another tenth that they gave, and it was a tithe to care for those who were marginalised. So, when you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that you may eat in the town in your towns and be satisfied. So, because God loves the marginalized, because God loves the poor, he puts it in the law to say, "Oh, every third year, I want everybody to give a tenth so that that can be split up and, and help those who are less able to access these things. So, what are we up to as a percentage so far? I think I was 10, 20, and 10 every three years. Twenty-three point three 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 percent is that right? Now, ancient Israel was obviously a nation as well as a family. So if, we're not comparing like with like here, so I'm not trying to do that because actually we'd look at our nation and say, so well, we pay in tax and we give to some of these sorts of things in our taxation system. But what we would say is this, that... Um, they seem to spend a whole lot of their money in terms of just devotion to God and to being the people of God together. And that seemed to be very, 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 very high priority for them. And therefore, there's something to learn for us in that. There was also connected with the tithe this idea of first fruits. And the first fruits was this that you didn't just give God any old bit of your carrots or your cows. They lived in a mixed economy. So I do love our new giving machine. got to say, it's a little sterile, isn't it? (laughs) Wouldn't it be much more fun if you could bring a cow to church (laughs) or a bag of carrots and say, well, this is what I grew this week? But but this is what they did. They gave the first fruits. They gave the very best of what God had blessed them with and brought that to God as an offering. So if you had 10 cows and one of them was ill in the corner, you, you wouldn't say... Ah, the Lord's cow is in the corner. <laughs> you say, no, no, I'm, I'm going to give him the best one. And if you had a bag of carrots and you had 10 carrots, you'd pick your finest carrot to give it to the Lord. It's the idea of first fruits, it's the idea of God has blessed me, I'm going I'm to give my very best to honour him, to say that everything I have comes from him. Now, did Israel always do it? The answer is no, because their devotion to God seemed to fluctuate throughout the Old Testament period. And by the time the end of the Old Testament comes, and they're they're just filled with idolatry, and they're worshiping all sorts of foreign gods. And God makes this observation about their tithing, their their giving in Malachi chapter 3. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Uh, He says, you're robbing me in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, that there will not be room enough to store it. There's lots we could say on that verse, but the primary thing seems to be that our giving and our devotion to God seem to be two sides of the same coin. And when God's saying to Israel, I'd love you to come back to me, I'd love you to restore your devotion to me, He says, well, actually, one of the first ways you can do that is by starting to tithe again so there might be food in the house of God again. So giving tells the story of our devotion to God. God, Giving is not God's way of raising funds, but of raising children. Now let's look over into the New Testament. Are Are you with me so far? We've covered the Old Testament. We did that quickly, didn't we? That was good. So... Um, now, Jesus was a Jew. He grew up in a Jewish culture. He had been very familiar with all the Old Testament. He would have observed all of the Old Testament law. Um, he had been familiar with tithing and all those things. Now, it's quite interesting, like tithing isn't mentioned especially in the New Testament, this idea of tent thing. Now, that's perhaps because it was actually just an ongoing principle from Old Testament into the New, but also I think something slightly different is going on in the New Testament, which is helpful for us to understand. So Jesus mentions tithing once, and he does it as a bit of a rebuke to the Pharisees. And uh, you you read in Luke chapter 11, 42. Interesting, we don't have that one. Okay, thanks, John. I was just going to wait forever there. (laughs) So Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mints, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. So here was the problem. When it came to New Testament times, the most religious people of the day, they spent all their time in their garden counting the leaves on their mints plants. And if they had ten leaves on a the plant, they would pick one and they say, aren't I a good Godly person because I'm giving God one leaf of my mint plant. Jesus says, guys, you seem to have missed the point. (laughs) This is a world filled with injustice and there needs, the compassion and the mercy of God. And here you are, you're just counting the very minimum that you can do in order to fill some religious obligation. And he says, it's not on. They'd forgotten the bigger matters of showing mercy and love. You know, legalism always asks how little I can get away with and still seem to be good and doing the right thing. Now, when we look at the new covenant, the new covenant is different to the old covenant. So we read some verses there about the curse of God being on God's people because they're not obeying the law. Well, the good news about the new covenant is we're not under the law. We're not under we 're not blessed because of what we do we 're not blessed because of our good works in christ we're blessed because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us to make us righteous in god 's sight. we couldn't be loved, any more loved than we are right now. we couldn't uh, have any more riches than we have in Christ right now. but this new covenant concept of giving blows the socks of the old covenant of giving it doesn't tell us to do less because it doesn't matter anymore. It seems to stir us to greater things. So here's what we observe in Acts chapter 4 in the early church. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Sharing ice cream is gross, isn't it? (laughs) I bet they didn't share their ice cream. (laughs) But... It says this, everything else they shared. Wow, there was such grace on that first community of believers. They literally said, you know, it's not about a fixed amount anymore, it's just everything because God has given us everything. There was one of the early church fathers, Irenaeus, uh, and he, uh, he said this, he said, the Jews were constrained to a regular payment of tithes, Christians who have liberty assign all their possessions to the Lord, bestowing freely not the lesser portion of their property since they have the hope of greater things. Isn't that amazing? He, he talks in weak terms about that old covenant prince. Oh, yeah, they, they, they were limited to the tithe. <laughs> he said, that, that's what they did. He said, us believers, we, 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 we're just giving everything and we're sharing everything. Now, the New Testament, it, it doesn't therefore speak to amounts, it speaks to attitudes. It doesn't speak to decimal points, it speaks to dispositions of the heart. So I've got five dispositions from the New Testament that, 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 we, would, that we would do well to pursue and to calibrate ourselves against. Here's the first one. We're encouraged to give joyfully. Each of you Should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Isn't that great? When we give, we give cheerfully. Not because I have to, but because I get to. Because I get to be in God's family. Because I get to be loved as a child of God, not based on what I do, but because of what he's done for me. There was a time when, uh, when I was young, I was a young teenager, and I managed to get a ticket to a Buckingham Palace garden party. <laughs> it was amazing. M- my dad had some f- a friend in business, and he said, hey, why don't you take the family to Buckingham Palace for a day? And I was like, yes, okay. Do you know, there was unlimited amounts of food and drink and ice cream available. And I remember getting up at this little tub of ice cream, and I think, this is the best ice cream I've ever had. And I I finished it. And then I looked at this table just full of ice cream pots. (laughs) And I said, can I have another one? They said, yeah. And so I had another one, and another one, and another one. You see, it was amazing. We have brought into the riches of the King Jesus' palace, and he shared everything he has with us. The Bible talks about two kinds of grace, common grace and special grace. Humanity has received God's common grace, his provision for all of mankind in creation. As believers, we've not just experienced God's general provision. We've experienced the 100% gift of God in Christ to us personally. God hasn't just given you everything you have. He's given you everything of himself in Jesus as well. And he says, feed on me. There's no such thing as a poor Christian because even the poorest of Christians has the riches of God in Christ. And that's what you have, and it's out of that place of joyful overflow that we therefore give. Here's the second uh, principle, disposition. We're to give expectantly, expectant. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Generously. So this is different to philanthropy. Philanthropy is where you you give money away for for the greater good. The Bible makes a promise to us in this new covenant era that when we give, it's actually like sowing seed in a soil and that plants grow and we get a harvest. If you sow a little bit of seed, you get a little bit of harvest. And if you sow a lot of seed, you get a rather large harvest. Now, I don't think the Bible always promises that you're going to get that back in financial returns if you give financially. But there is clearly a promise there that God will bless you in any and every way when you give. And so when you give, you're like turning the taps on to the blessing of God in your life. There was a, um, an inventor in America... Um, of earth-moving machinery, and uh, he lived in the 1930s. He invented those mechanical shovels, those giant, giant diggers that you see. He made a lot of money. He was a Christian, and he he used to have this principle of giving 10% of his income to to God's kingdom and his purposes, and over the years, he increased that from 10% to 20% to 90%, and he lived off the 10% because he'd made so much money. And somebody at the end of his life said, what have you learned about giving over these years? And uh, he said, well, he said... I've learned this that I shovel the money to God, and God shovels it back to me. But God has a bigger shovel. <laughs> we give to God; we will never outgive God. He will always give back to us in multiple blessings and abundance. Here's the third. Uh, so joyful, expect. Here's the third one. Systematic. Systematic. Now. This might surprise you because you might think, well, this New Covenant here, we're all about being led by the Spirit, aren't we? Just about feeling it, sensing it. There's certainly a lot of that in the New Covenant because we're led by the Spirit. But this might surprise you. Here's Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. He doesn't say just leave it to a prompting. He doesn't say wait for the moment and see how you feel. Grace-filled giving doesn't look sloppy or just spontaneous. It actually looks planned. Let me ask you the question: This because let's apply it to other areas of the Christian life. D- do you pray more when you feel like it or when you don't feel like it? When you okay, I, okay. Let me explain more. I'm I'm saying that, so. When that alarm goes off in the morning, you said, hey, I'm going to pray. You get up. Do you feel like praying in the morning when the alarm goes off? Very rarely. I, I don't. I get up and I start praying, and I enjoy praying because I've made the choice to get up. And so I end up praying more because I've chosen to pray rather than because I want to pray in the moment. Do you see what I'm saying? When I read my Bible, is it because I have woken up in the morning and thought, yes, it's just all flowing. The scriptures are there, just in my head right now. No, no, it's... Which, which bit of the Bible reading plan are we on today? No, but when I start reading the Bible, God starts speaking through it. See, God's grace comes to us as we are systematic. And so when we turn the systems on, God's grace begins to flow through that system. With giving, it's just the same. You will give far more generously in your life if you choose to than if you wait to want to. So here's something to think about today. What does systematic giving look like in your life so that you can then enjoy the grace of giving? I much more enjoy giving because I generally have it uh, systematically planned. And he says, do it on the first day, make it your priority. Here's the fourth thing. Uh, Be unassuming. Matthew six chapter Matthew chapter six verse three. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. The Pharisees liked to tell everybody how much they were giving. In fact, they'd pay the local trumpeter just as much as they gave to tell everybody how generous they were being. Jesus says that believers quietly meet needs in the most discreet of ways. I kind of like online giving because even I forget I'm doing it. (laughs) It just happens automatically. Those standing orders just go out of the bank account and a few times yesterday, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we're giving money to these things, giving this to church, we're giving this to And that's good news because that's that's how we're meant to be, unassuming in our giving. Here's the last one, to be settled, to be settled. 2 Corinthians 9, verse... (laughs) Seven. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, well, have you seen it? Okay, I mean, you, you've actually seen it, right? Okay, well, we'll come on to that. I'm going to make it more obvious in a second. <laughs> let's, let's finish on seven. So each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion. Do you see that? It's decisive. It's decisive. That's to say that there's a decision to be made about giving, and how much, and you should know how much you're planning to give, and you should stick to that amount unless God speaks to you and tells you something different. Now, if you're single, you can just obviously make that decision yourself between you and God. If you're married, that's often a very interesting conversation between husband and wife, because usually in a husband-wife relationship, one has a much greater understanding of how much life costs, and one just thinks we should be a bit more generous. Is that right? So, but here's the point. Husband's wife, decide. Reach your decision and stick to the decision and do it based on what you feel is honoring God in terms of the blessing he's given you in your life, but also what brings you joy. Don't give so much that you're living in a state of despair because God wants you to be joyful in your giving. Now, as you might have noticed... Uh, next slide please John wow <laughs> <laughs> who's the ultimate giver Jesus is so Jesus models all of these things for us so Jesus he says for the joy set before him he endured the cross because he saw people like you and me being saved and being in his family And he shared his love, expectant that his church would respond to his overtures of love in giving him loving devotion in return. Jesus systematically sustains all things by his powerful word every day. And he causes mercy and grace and love to follow us all the days of our lives. Jesus unassumingly went to the cross, taking the nature of a servant. And, you know, you couldn't find a more decided Settled mind and the mind we meet in Gethsemane where Jesus says, not your will, but, not my will, but yours be done. So here's the thing about giving. When we give in this new covenant kind of way, we're becoming more like Jesus. Isn't that exciting? Because yeah. I want to be more like Jesus. And the world needs more people like Jesus. And therefore, Christians need to be those who give like Jesus. But you might be asking the question, well, where do I begin with all this stuff? Or how do I change what I'm doing right now? So just in this last couple of moments, let me give you a couple of just really practical, practical things. Because you might be asking, well, who Who do I give to? And I'd say, well, I think the Bible encourages us to be generous people in every sphere of life. But I'd say if you're looking to start and you haven't started this journey yet, giving to your local church is a clear priority in Scripture in terms of your devotion to Christ, to care for the needs of your local church family. So that might be kings for you, and I'd I'd encourage you to, to give to the life of kings. It might be another church that you're a part of. I'd encourage you to give largely to the needs of that church community. Here's, and and, I mean, for Julia and I, we'd we'd give to other things as well, but that would be our main, main strand of giving by a long, long way. Here's the second principle. If you're saying, well, how much? I'd say a tenth is a great place to start, and it's a very easy sum to do, to divide by ten. It's a statement of faith that God will meet your needs. When you divide something, your income by 10, you think, well, that's a lot of money. <laughs> but it's a statement of faith that God will meet our needs when we honour him. I remember uh, when I was growing up, I, I, I just taught it routinely it, 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 by my parents. They said, oh, well, you, know, you the, we, we give a tenth to God. And so it kind of made it easy, that first pay packet that came along. I thought, Well, I'm just going to do that because that, that's clearly what, what you do. And I've never had to really overthink that point, because that's just like the baseline. When our uh, children hit the age of seven, we started doing pocket money for them. And uh, they got the rich princely sum of 70p, 10p for each year they were old, and it went up by 10p every year. And uh, of course, they never got the 70p, because we taught them that the first 7p belonged to God. God. And so if you'd ask my kids, what pocket money Their friends would say, how much pocket, do you money, how much pocket money do you get? And they'd say, 63p. <laughs> 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 and then the exciting thing is when kids are age 11 in the UK, they can open a bank account. And with bank accounts comes uh, debit cards and contact lists and other exciting things that kids love, right? But also comes the ability to set up a standing order. So we taught our kids, we opened the bank account on their 11th birthday and... And we'd say, also well, so that, that whole giving thing where we used to take 7P away, we're not going to do that anymore because this is now your choice. And different ones in their own way. And, and I remember one of them said, so, so who should we, how do we do it? And who should we give it to? I said, well, I'll show you how to set up a standing order on, on your bank account. So they started the, the smallest ever standing order in King's Church history. <laughs> <laughs> because we're just teaching Well, this is what giving looks like. It's not about the amounts, it's the principle. And hopefully that sets them up in times to come for what generosity looks like as a baseline. The the 10th is a baseline, not a rule. God wants to get hold of our hearts first and foremost. Um, If you're wanting to, to, to give to King's Church, the most effective and a systematic way you can do that is using a standing order mechanism. Uh, there's, there's, there's stuff in the finance leaflet about all the information you need on that. Uh, you can also set up a direct debit if you prefer. Or if you don't know what your regular income is, so sometimes you think, oh, I just need to make that decision week by week, uh, we have this giving station here, which anybody can use, and you, it's very, very easy. I used it myself the other day. You just press a button, you choose the amount, and you just uh, tap your card, and it's as simple as that and you can add gift aid to it, which just adds a little bit to the process. But it's very, very simple. You're welcome to familiarise yourself with that. You can also give to the Ukraine offering via that. Just press the button that says Ukraine. And uh, it's very, very, very straightforward. Uh, we've decided not to return to cash offerings, passing bags around, because... I don't know about you. Nobody seems to have any cash anymore <laughs> in their pockets, at least. So, so that we'll probably move that to the room at the back in weeks to come, so that can be more accessible to people. But we thought we'd just show it to you at the front here today. Um, and here's the third, the, the third and final point. Just review, review it. If this is a discipleship point, just as I would with prayer or Bible reading, I'd tend to review it once a year or something. And say, well, how? How do I want that to change this year? How do I want to read the Bible? How do I want to pray? And and how do I want to give this year? And sometimes I'll be astonished how long ago it was since I last re-evaluated how much we were giving. But it's helpful to do that and to look at what we give and to think if God would want us to increase in that area. Final thing to say is, if you're under severe financial pressure today, then I don't want you to feel any of this pressure at all. In fact, we, we have something in, uh, in King's Church called the Barnabas Account, which is a, uh, it's, it's just a means really to bless people who are struggling financially. And if, if you uh, are struggling and have a need in the area, which I'd love to encourage you to talk to a small group leader or talk to one of the elders. Uh, and we'd love to just be able to, to help you access some of that if that's appropriate. That's the end of the, the message. I think we're just going to take a moment to respond, if that's OK. And let's... As I said, it's so important the Holy Spirit gets hold of our hearts as well as um, just hearing teaching. So let's just turn to God for a moment. Let's just ask him to help us. Lord, we just thank you for your generosity to us in creation, in life, and in Jesus. Thank you for the riches of Christ that we enjoy. Lord, help us to respond joyfully, expectantly, systematically, unassumingly. Lord, take hold of our hearts, we pray. We want to love you with all that we are all that we have and all that we do.